BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. Hey, everybody, this is Devin Kadiyama. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that this episode contains a brief mention of suicide. The city of Berkeley recently decided to rename a small strip along Shattuck Street after an activist named Kala Bagai. She was one of the first South Asian women to live on the West Coast. And this renaming is a big deal for South Asians and other Asian Americans who want to feel seen in their communities. But it also matters because Kala Bagai's story isn't the traditional one you hear about the local heroes who get streets and monuments named after them. For us, she's a symbol of all of the people that got pushed out uh, and the displacement that continues to happen in our communities. Racist neighbors in Berkeley drove Kala Bagai out of town about 100 years ago. And a lot of her later activism was the kind of work that didn't make headlines. But that's exactly why some people feel like she is the perfect person to represent the past and the present. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Kala Bagai and her husband, Vaishnodas Bagai, and their three children immigrated to the U.S. from uh, present-day Pakistan. They arrived in San Francisco in 1915, and uh, they had sold all of their belongings and brought that money with them to make a life for themselves uh, outside of colonized India. Barnali Ghosh is the curator of the Berkeley South Asian Radical History Walking Tour, which she does with her husband, Anurvan Chatterjee. The tour takes groups around Berkeley and shares stories of South Asian people and activism in the city. You're also going to hear part of an interview between Kala Bagai and her grandson that was recorded back in 1982. When I came to this country, I was about 21 years of age. I had three children. Big one. Matrimon and Ramon. 
Vaishnu was also interested in working with the Gadar Party, which was an anti-colonial diaspora movement that brought together farmers and students, uh, and that was headquartered in San Francisco. Berkeley was definitely a big part of how the Gadar Party uh, came together because many of the students uh, who were in the Gadar Party, like Kartar Singh Sarabha and Gobind Bihari Lal, had come here to Berkeley to study, but then sort of got caught up in trying to plan this militant movement uh, to take down the British in India. He wants to leave the slave country and want to come to America because America is free country. So when Kala and her husband Vaishnu and their three children arrived in the Bay Area, uh, it, it was during that time of, of a lot of like uh, militant activism planning that was going on here. But there were also people here who were just students who were here to study. Uh, there were working class folks who were building railroads. California was a place where people were coming to find refuge and to make a life for themselves, especially becoming farmers and, and laborers. I couldn't speak English. I didn't know one word of English at the time, and uh, everything was strange to me in this country. So what was Berkeley like for people of color and, and South Asian Im- immigrants during that time? Was it a welcoming place? So as far as we know, there were about 2,000 South Asians living along the West Coast, and there was a lot of anti-Asian sentiment. Uh, You know, there was anti-Asian exclusion act. Folks were definitely, uh, working class folks were definitely facing the brunt of that. Uh, And and definitely the initial anti-Asian racism that was happening was directed towards Chinese folks and then Japanese folks, and then eventually also towards Indians. Unlike many immigrants arriving in the U.S. at the time, Kala Bagai and her family did have one big advantage, money. The fact that they had money, uh, they were welcomed more easily uh, into the country. And, you know, when they came in, they were able to have some kind of lodging, some kind of apartment that they could rent. They could set up a a small business. Uh, They could take a little bit of time in in finding their feet in the Bay Area. But that's also why they could afford to get a house in Berkeley. When they decided to move to Berkeley, when they pulled up to the house that they had got, uh, they realized that their neighbors had effectively locked them out and would not let them enter their house. And it's really moving for me, I think, to know that Kalabagai remembered this as part of her oral history uh, so many years later. We bought a house in uh, Berkeley. Between Berkeley and Oakland, bought a house, and it happened to be was an English people's house. English people were there. And uh, so our house, we paid for it, part of it, I guess, and uh, they locked, but inside they locked the doors. They wouldn't let us in because we were from India. They were next door neighbors? Neighbors. They locked your house, so you couldn't get into your own house. No. That is not what the expectation was of them moving to the U.S. They expected this to be a land that had overthrown the British, that was a land for for the free, and they had bought into that. All our luggage and everything was loaded on the trucks. And so I told Mr. Guy, I said, 
I don't want to live in this neighborhood. I don't want to live in this house because uh, uh, they might hurt my children, and I don't want it. Our communities have a history of when we go through trauma, we bury them for survival. So even the fact that we know that her family experienced this uh, in Berkeley um, is 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 a chance happening. So what happened with Kalabagai and her family after that incident in Berkeley? Eventually, they ended up making a home for themselves in San Francisco. Uh, they had a store called Bagai's Bazaar on Fillmore Street. Uh, they lived above the store. And, you know, it looked like things were finally starting to sort of settle in. But then you see again that not only did they become uh, the victims of local racism, but then they also became victim to federal anti-immigrant policies, where because of the Bhagat Singh thinned case of 1923, uh, which effectively uh, reversed any citizenship that South Asians had acquired. Vaishnadas um, Bagai, who had applied and received citizenship in 1921, uh, two years later, he had been stripped of that citizenship. Now, he essentially became a stateless person because as somebody who was anti-British, he refused to apply for a British passport, which meant that Yes, he could be in the U.S. and he could have some amount of freedom, but essentially uh, he was trapped. Eventually, in 1928, he would rent a room in San Jose. Uh, He would have taken out a life insurance policy and he went on to uh, kill himself uh, and take his own life. And he left a very powerful suicide note in which he called living in the U.S. as if it was like living life in a gilded cage. You felt that you had some amount of freedom, but really um, all the expectations and hopes that he had come with uh, here uh, were being destroyed by all of this racism, that bridges were being burnt that he had tried to build with this country. So what happens to Kala Bagai and her family after that? Kala and her uh, three sons continue to live in San Francisco. She puts all of them through college. And uh, at some point in in 1934, uh, she remarries. Uh, She marries a family friend of theirs, Mahesh Chandra. And then eventually she moves to Southern California to be closer to her younger son. And that's when, you know, she starts to be the sort of community builder, uh, this place that immigrants uh, come to, that every immigrant who visits Southern California eventually um, ends up meeting. She just became really visible in terms of somebody who was providing um, that kind of warmth and welcome that she didn't necessarily get, especially in, in Berkeley. I would like to think that some of it had to do with some distance from the tragedy that she had faced with losing Vaishno, uh, some support from her marrying again, even though that was very taboo. She had also, you know, started to learn tennis and, and learn English. And in 1946, because of the Loose Seller Act, she was able to apply for citizenship and gain citizenship in 1950. 
then in southern california she along with uh, other women they initially set up um an organization called the American Wives of India group and they raised money for famine relief and they raised money for refugees related to the partition and then they went on to do more cultural exchange so all of the the bridge that was burned by Vaishno's death uh to me that was something that she was trying to rebuild so i think all of that really made her uh be able to th- be the person she had always wanted to be one of the reasons uh, we focused on her is because her activism and her community building was of a, a, a quieter kind not not quiet in that she didn't have a voice but quiet in the sense you know it's it's sort of the long relationship building work that often our mothers and grandmothers do behind the scenes when the city of berkeley first put out a proposal to rename a part of shattuck street barnali started researching south asian people who'd be good to nominate Barnali says there were a lot of people to choose from, but when she came across an old interview with Kala Bagai and her family from 1982, her story stuck with Barnali. We immediately thought about the fact that there were hundreds of street names in Berkeley and yet not one of them is visibly Asian American and yet Berkeley is a city that's 20% Asian American. Uh and it's the same thing when it comes to gender. Uh very few streets are named after women. So you know, we were like we definitely wanted to take this opportunity to see some representation of the Asian American community. But eventually we settled on Kalabagai. Well, it resonated with you and you started a campaign to get a street named after Kalabagai and recently the Berkeley City Council approved that. Um, starting with item number 11, I wanted to acknowledge that this item renames Shattuck Avenue East between Center and University as Kalabagai Way and I know there were there was a lot of activism around this and making this happen and just for those of you Why is that so, so important and how is her story different from the traditional story that we hear about people who you know get streets named after them or monuments named after them Many times when streets are named and they're named after achievers the city claims them as their own and the city tells the story of how they played a part in that person's achievement and yet we have stories of people who've suffered racism in the city and why can't naming be a, a way to reconcile uh with a difficult part of our history and to provide some corrective uh to that rather than it being purely a celebration that doesn't take into consideration uh the the harder journeys that some people made through our city and i also find it interesting that she was actually pushed out Exactly. And I think that, you know, we were definitely trying things that were paradigm shifting. And for us, she's a symbol of all of the people that got pushed out uh and the displacement that continues to happen in our communities. So, this kind of story has continuing relevance. It alerts us to the fact that if we don't actually uh prevent displacement if we don't have policies that welcome uh, new immigrants and refugees if that's only on paper and we're not actually building housing that can accommodate them or hand, having anti-displacement policies that can keep folks who want to live here here that 
you know, those are just things we say. And I think even on our walking tour, you know, we continuously talk about how protest might be the most visible form of activism, but it's not the only way that anybody, somebody can engage in activism. And I think by elevating only a certain kind of change, we actually keep people out of the movements. Kalabagai's story for me is relevant today as well. And it really reminds us of sort of the anti-immigrant hate that we saw 100 years ago show up again. And we have to remind ourselves that the rights that we won at that time, we cannot take for granted. And that requires both protesting on the streets and voting in elections. I think for me, though, the most powerful piece of this is around housing. Uh, because Berkeley is still a very segregated city. Being segregated uh, in this way means that we haven't achieved our goal of being a welcoming city. Barnali says that another really meaningful thing that happened during the city's naming process was when the confederated villages of Lashan, Ohlone, decided to support the campaign for Kalabagai Way. An Ohlone name was also being considered, but at the last minute, the group threw their support behind Kala Bagai. The letter that Karina Gold wrote in support, um, and I'm going to quote from her letter, where she says, uh, when the opportunity to participate in the Shattuck name change came up, the tribe wholeheartedly support the name change to Kala Bagai Way. Because we, we want to acknowledge that there have been and continue to be people who come to our territory who have faced and resisted oppression and whose stories should be lifted up and remembered. Barnali Ghosh is the curator of the Berkeley South Asian Radical History Walking Tour. Thanks also to the South Asian American Digital Archive and Ronnie Bagai, Kala Bagai's granddaughter, for giving us permission to use the interview you heard in this episode. This episode of The Bay was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. We're made by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for today. Talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 